numbers like crazy to the point where the numbers are probably about 20% of what the real number, I mean, the real number is about 20% of what the uh, numbers um, have been said out there. And then I mentioned a couple months ago that we're seeing the reverse when it comes to the vaccine. Well, we've had some people inside the CDC that are starting to release information. The CDC doesn't want them to do this, but that, that they have record of over 50,000 people that have died of the virus, I mean, of the um, vaccine already. And that they're hiding these numbers, they're keeping these numbers in there. And some of the biggest things is they're also seeing a lot of neurological things to the point where the FDA, which, by the way, the FDA has still not approved the vaccine, okay, just so you know. Um, but we're starting to see now that the FDA has, has seen such an increase in this that they're having to release stuff that says that there are warnings, neurological, uh, warnings of neurological problems associated with the vaccine. Uh, this is, and, and here's the biggest one that we're just now starting to see some stuff, but I, I think this is actually going to turn out to be the biggest issues, is we're seeing the, um, a, a lot of major heart issues that are coming out of the vaccine stuff to the point where I, I personally believe that over the next year or two, we're going to see a, 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 a massive amount of heart issues directly related to the vaccine. Now, the statistics will never say that. They will never... They won't release them that way um, just because this is such a this has been such a big deal. And, you know, even a few months ago now, the CDC is finally saying, you know what? Hydroxychloroquine probably worked pretty good. This is sad. These people should be put in jail for hiding that from the public when hundreds of thousands of people's lives would have been saved by just taking a simple, very inexpensive drug. Now, part of the reason I'm saying this, I had some, some people asking me this last week about this. Uh, you do not, it is, it is against the law for, for your company, for your organization to make you take the vaccine. It is against the law. Now, you may have to fight that out, and they may fire you in the interim, just so you know. But it's against the law for them to make you take the vaccine. And it is against the law for them to ask you. It's against HIPAA rules for them to ask you if you've had the vaccine or if you had covid or anything, if you've had a, an ingrown toenail, it's against the law for them to ask you that. And so just be thinking about this. CDC did admit, kind of released some stuff a few weeks ago. I mentioned this, that if a company makes you take the vaccine, then they are legally liable for all fallout from that vaccine. Anything that happens to you because of that vaccine, they are legally liable if they tell you you have to get it. And now there are lawsuits popping up all over the country of this and should be should be. Um, and so, there, throwing that out at you. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Our youth group left this morning to go to um, Missouri. They are doing a missions outreach trip in Missouri. I love it when they do these kind of things because usually when, when they come back, the teenagers, when teenagers go in those settings, they have a tendency to step out and minister and witness in ways that they normally don't in their hometown. And then when they get back to their hometown, they go, oh, you know what? It it's probably not that hard to do this, and, uh, and it really changes them. We're excited for them to do that. Um, Pastor Josh, and I think like 22 of them or something like that left this morning and headed to Missouri, and I thought this is so, such a good thing for them to be in Missouri in July. I think that is, that's a blessing from God. That's huge. So, <laughs> right. So here's my goal with this this morning. I, I, I want to give you one sentence, and if you can walk out of here with this, 
this morning. Now, I'm going to talk a bunch for the next 45 minutes, but here's the, the goal. This is the sentence. If you got up and left now, you would get it if you get this, okay? I would, I would not like you, but you would get this, all right? I want you to know before you leave here this morning that God has supernaturally called you. He's called you. And there are some basics that, that are for everybody, and then there's a, a, a plethora of stuff that is, that is specific to you. But he has called you. And then he has, he has a pretty big, amazing plan if you just let him do that, if you just respond to that call. Now, I've been saying for quite a few months now that, um, that there really is, a, there really is a, a, a thing going on in America, and it's, and, it's, and it's going on in the church, too, where there's this separation between what is really the body of Christ and what is really what I would call the church and this thing that, uh, that we've been building for decades now in America that we call the church, but it's really not the church. It's not, it's not about Jesus. It's not about salvation. It's not about the transformative work of the Holy Spirit that, that Jesus does through the blood and brings us in a relationship with God. It's, it's not about that. It's about, you know, people. It's about getting people in the doors and get a person in the door and get their money. And, uh, and we don't, we don't, that's not who we are. We just want your money. We don't want, <laughs> we don't. <laughs> but, but there really is this separation right now that's going on in, in the church. And I believe that the, that this divide is going to get stronger and stronger over time. Because, because it's built basically the, I believe in my head, this is the way I see a picture of this, is the Word of God is this, is this knife blade, and everything is falling onto the knife blade, and the, and the body of Christ is going one side, and everything else is going the other side. And that there is this, there's this decision, do we follow God's Word? Do we follow what God's Word says? Do, is, if, if, sin, if God's Word says this is a sin, is it still a sin, or we choose to just pretend like it's not? We choose to pretend it's something else or a political issue or something else. Are we really saying, Jesus, we're going to try to follow you? Or are we going to follow uh, human beings and, 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 and leadership structures or whatever the case is? In fact, I believe this is getting to the point now where, where we're going to start seeing this. Um, I think we're going to start seeing this kind of uh, open up and explode across the country where we're, we're going to see. And, and, and I have some ways that I think it's going to happen, but I think we're going to start seeing that that some of this church mentality and some of the personalities and some of the people and stuff, that, there's, that, that they're not really followers of God. And we're going to see this in a lot of different ways. And so, so with that being the case, what I've been saying for months now is that we have to take responsibility for the kingdom. You have to take responsibility for the kingdom. You can't just let a handful of guys like me that are, that are hired to do something that we call pastoring, you can't, you can't assume that the work of the ministry is going to be done by guys like me. That this has to be, you're taking responsibility for the kingdom. You're going to shoulder this, and you're going to carry this, and you're going to run forward with this. Why? Because God has called you. He's called me. He's called all of us. This idea that has been, I don't know why it gains such good, well, I know why. It's because it's comfortable to us this way. But this idea that that only some people are called to really witness about Jesus. Only some people are called to do that. And then, you know, we've got all this other stuff that we call ministry within the kingdom of God, and we say, well, we're called to do that. Um, I remember years ago, first time this, I came across this, almost 30 years ago as a youth pastor, uh, this lady was explaining to me her ministry, and her ministry was singing. And she said, this is, this is what I do. And I was like, yeah, I like that. You know, I'm a, I'm a singer too, you know, and, you know, hey, you know, and so... Um, and then I'm like, you know, but we all, you know, we're all still called to witness. She's like, no, that's not. 
I'm not really called to that. I'm called to sing. The only thing I heard was, I'm called to make sure people see me. That's the only thing I heard when she said that. But, but this is a weird thing that we've done in the church world is we have convinced ourselves that we can do some things which are actually the external stuff, which are good, they're important. You've got, you've got all this external stuff that's part of it. But the core, we just pretend like the core doesn't exist. And the core is we've been called by God to, as Jeremiah 1.5 says, I believe this is actually applied to every human on the planet, that before we were born, while we were still in the womb, God called you, set you apart to be a voice of prophecy to the nations. And we're supposed to clear, declare God to the nations, and we're all supposed to do that. That's the core. That's the center. That's the very center. Of, and then all the other stuff that we get to do in the kingdom of God that God lets us is part of our ministry. But we have to recognize, realize, and embrace that it's secondary to the, to the, to the primary call that we all have. Okay, so Matthew chapter 4, this is, <clears throat> this is, um, this has always been something that, that gets me because I don't know for sure why God called me. I, I'm very comfortable in that calling now, you know, 30 years later, but, well, actually, he called me when I was eight. I didn't have a clue about that. I didn't know what that meant then, but I, I, I did, I don't understand why he called me. I, I know who I am, and I know what my calling is, and I know how to do the things that God has created me to do. And I'm, and I'm always looking for ways to expand my horizons and God build me in this way, mature me over here, develop me, whatever. I'm very, I'm very confident in that. But I still, to this day, I'm not sure why God called me, except for the fact that he calls us all. There's a lot of other people I've seen over time that I think could do what I do better. Thank you for no amens there. <laughs> Some of you were like writing names. I, this guy could do it better than him. This guy, but but I don't. I really. I'm, I joke about it a little bit, but I really don't know why God called me. I don't. I don't. If I, there's no way I would have seen myself doing what I'm doing now 30 years ago, I could not have processed that. I I wish I would have uh, recorded the first message that I ever preached. It was I was in, it was in a church in East Texas, and and um, it was horrible. It was a train wreck, and I wish I could have recorded that. And so, like, when my kids were going to college and things, when, when they were struggling to, to match up to the greatness that their father is, I could have showed this. I could have let them listen to this and let them realize things ain't always ha- as they have appeared to be. And, uh, and to realize that, that when God calls you, it's, it's God that's doing something supernatural. Now, he's going to call you into supernatural stuff. But you have to remember at the end of the day, he's the supernatural one. We're not. He's the one doing the stuff. We're not doing it. We're just trying to follow him in the process. And so Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they had fished for, they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. As that is the calling for all of us. That's the core. That's the center. Don't let anything, anybody, any preacher, any book, anything tell you differently. You are called primarily to fish for people. Because why? That's the only way those people get to heaven. Without that, they don't get to heaven. 
You can, you can have a, an amazing music ministry, and I don't know, maybe that's how you disciple your kids. You sing to them or something. I don't know. But that people don't get saved unless we tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're called to fish for people, and that's, that's what Jesus called them to, and he calls us to. And then it says, and they left their nets once and followed him. They didn't, didn't just follow him because he was going to be this great teacher or, or, um, or, or prophet or whatever the things that people thought. They were following him because specifically he was going to teach them to fish for people. That was what they were following. That was the call they were following. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called to them too, and I, and I believe the same calling. Come follow me, and I'll, and I'll um, teach you how to fish for people. The reason I think I'm not adding that in there, I think because he said, and he called them too. In other words, in the same way. They immediately followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. And they followed Jesus they, they, their whole life. They, they're they're going to belong to Jesus now. They're going to follow along, listen to his teaching, do all this stuff, sit at his feet, all these different things. And then he also sends them out. We know the stories. He sends them out. They pray for people, all these different things. But I've thought about this. Why, why did Jesus specifically pick the guys that he did? Now, Scripture tells us that anytime he picks the disciples, pay attention to this. This is a really neat little thing in Scripture, that the night before he would pick a disciple or a handful of disciples, he would go up in, to the hillsides by himself and he would pray. He would be up there praying for the, for the night. And then he would come down the next morning and he would pick disciples. So I, I believe, to me, that, that that says that God was showing him who to pick. But I, I've often wondered, why does he pick the people that he picks to do what he does? Why does, why does he pick me? I, I, again, I've never understood that. I, I, I think about it. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I know why. But most of the time, I really wonder about that. And the yeah, I know why times is because I'm, I'm being arrogant. There, there's not a... Well, well, we'll unpack this a little bit. So, so why would, if, if we're saying that he's called us on, that means he's called you, then why would he pick you? You'd say, well, I don't know why he would pick me. I don't know why he would pick you. Although here's the weird thing for me over the years. I, I kind of would see, it would be easier for me to recognize why he would pick most of you before he would pick me. I, 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 don't, I don't know why. Now, I know what he's developed me into, to me, I'm pickable now, right? But not then. And definitely not when I really felt like God called me, which was at eight years old. God's looking at me at eight and going, I need that guy. So I've got some questions to ask to help us process this. And this came from a few things. One is I, I had an um, opportunity this last week um, uh, uh, to speak to some pastors around the world. Uh, Billy Palmer was, g- gave me an opportunity to speak to these guys, and, and some of you know have met Billy and Lindy, and, and he gave me an opportunity to speak to some of these people, these pastors, and there are some in the Latin America and Africa. They're just all over. And I was thinking about this, and I, and I spoke about this subject a little bit and talked to, to them about what does it mean to be called, and then I wanted to hear some of their feedback. How, how did they see some of this? That's an important thing to me. That's a very important thing to me. I, I had an opportunity also this last week to sit down um, over coffee with uh, Lana's brother, Powell. We just talked about this. 
for a long time. He just asked me, just like right up front, tell me, tell me about your call. That's not the way most ministers ask that question. The way most ministers ask that question is, and he's a retired minister, but they ask the question, how did you get into ministry? I don't think that's the same question. Are you following me? He said, tell me about your call. Because regardless of what I am doing, me being called is, is the um, foundation of everything. What I am doing might not be uh, copacetic with that. When I graduated with my uh, master's, like, I don't know, it's a long time ago, um, I, I was sitting, but before I walked out to the graduate, we were sitting, we, did, we were about to graduate, and we're about to walk out to the, in, in the graduation ceremony. And all these guys had spent four years going to school with them, and were sitting around, and they're all younger. They had gone, most of them had gone straight from undergraduate into master's and were graduates, so like their mid-20s. I had gone, you know, a little bit of undergraduate, a little bit of failing, a little bit of life, a little bit of ministry, and then I finally swung back around and went to school. So I'm in my uh, early 30s at this time, and we're sitting around, and they're, they're asking each other questions and stuff, and finally one of them asked me these they said, uh, what are you going to do uh, now that you're graduating? I said, I'm going to continue to do what I have been doing for a long time now. I pastor a church. I'm going to continue doing that. I didn't, I didn't get a master's so that I could uh, work my way up into something. I was, I'm at the apex. I, have, I, am, I am cresting right now at the top of the life pyramid. I don't know what you call it, but... Um, I was pastoring. That's what I want to do. That's what God's called me to. And, and so they're having conversations. So I began to ask them questions because it was interesting to me some of the ways they were verbalizing stuff. And so I finally asked the question. There's about 10, 12 people sitting in this circle. I said, how many of you are going to ministry? Almost all of them raised their hands. <clears throat> some were doing like social work ministry stuff like it. And so I said, how many of you feel like and this was the reason for the question. I said, how many of you feel like God called you to this, or how many of you just chose this? It was like your occupation. One other person besides me said that God had called them to this. Every other person sitting around there said, no, this is just a choice I made. In fact, most of them said, I don't really think God calls you to stuff. I think you do it, and then God um, blesses it or acknowledges it or something like that. And I told him, I said, well, let, let me help you out with my years of wisdom. Um, if you chose this, you're an idiot. That's how simple that is. You chose the wrong thing, my friend. You chose a job where people vote on you according to whether they like you. Have you thought through that? And uh, they were all, thank you for that wisdom. So this is the thing is I, I can't. I can't imagine doing anything, and I've done a lot of different things in my life at different times, but I can't imagine doing anything just because I made a decision. That scares me. And here's the thing. I know. I know how this works in this room. I know that, that some of you in this room, maybe many of you, you're working a job because you decided to work that job. To me, that's frightening. You should be praying about this. You should be seeking God about this. God, what do you want me to do? How do where do you want me to do this? How am I supposed to do this? What is the call that you have in that? I know the foundation of the call, but God, there's other stuff. What is it? 
We should be talking to God about this stuff. Ask him. Why? Because where you go to work is where God is sending you to fulfill the call that you have. So you need to be walking in that, thinking that, ministering to people, processing as you're going through work that that, that you're put there to specifically connect and interact with people because they need Jesus so desperately and you have him. So you've got to see this. I'm called. What does that calling mean? So, I've got some questions. And, and all these questions, let me help you. I'm going to give you some very strong definitiveness here. For all these questions, the answer is kind of rhetorical. The answer is probably not, but maybe a little bit. Okay? Somebody like, that is solid. It's the best I got. You'll see as we go through these. This is literally the best I have. These are questions that I don't really know how to answer because I can give you examples, and I'm going to show you in Scripture. I can give you examples of both sides of this. So every one of these questions, the answer is something along the lines of probably not, but maybe. All right, Judges chapter 6, the first question, does God choose us because of who we are? This is a big one. Does God choose us because of who we are? And if, he, it, and if you think the answer to that is yes, then, then somewhere you're going to have to have some kind of qualifiers to that, right? There's going to be some kind of qualities or something that, that will qualify you for being called. God calls me because of me. In other words, I have certain abilities or gifts or, or I'm at a certain place in life. Well, well, what if you don't, first maybe you don't, see that you have these gifts and abilities or recognize that. Here's something about giftings that I think, I'm saying more like they're spiritual giftings, but I don't mean like gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians. I'm saying just like God, how he's designed us, our personality and the giftings of who we are. I believe that you're going to be uncovering those all of your life. You're going to be seeing more stuff of who you are your entire life. That's why I've never been a big fan of the spiritual gifting stuff. You know, the, we, we had this... This craze 15, 20 years ago, everybody, we didn't know everybody's spiritual gifting so we could plug them in somewhere. I don't want to be plugged in somewhere. I want the Holy Spirit to do that. And I want the Holy Spirit to use stuff that I may not even know I have yet. And use me in this area, in this category, in ways that transcend who I am now because I'm limited in my human thinking and understanding. And I'm limited in, in understanding me. I'm limited in understanding God. If we just always do the things that we know we're already gifted at, we're going to stagnate and we're going to be boring to others. And I don't want to be boring. That's a driving thing in my life. As God chooses because of who we are, Judges 6 verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Orpah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezar. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. Right? So, most of you probably know the story. You know, what, you know what a wine press is, right? It's like a huge big barrel that they would put the grapes in, and then people would get in there barefooted and stomp on the grapes, which is another reason I don't drink. <laughs> Can you think about taking a sip of wine and some toe cheese come out in that? I'm hoping you think about that next time you drink. <laughs> and he's supposed to be threshing wheat, right? You're threshing wheat, but how do you do that down in a barrel? Threshing wheat means you toss the wheat up and the wind blows the chaff away. Well, how are you doing that down in a barrel? 
The answer is he's not doing that very well, right? He's hiding because the Midianites keep raiding them, taking their food, taking their, their family, uh, the women. Uh, scripture says they would take them and, and rape them. And so he's hiding, and everybody's hiding, okay? Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero. That has always been a crazy statement to me. The King James says, mighty man of valor, right? That's always been a crazy statement. I've, and I've heard all the messages. I've got books in my office talk about this. But, but God could see who he really was. I don't think that's the full answer to that question. Then the other half of the story is, well, God could see what he was going to be. I still don't think that's good enough for me. When I read this whole story, neither one of those, not who he was or not who he's going to be, they, neither one of those are good enough. Did God choose Gideon because he was truly this mighty hero? Because God's saying this in faith at this point, right? He's saying, he's projecting this. This isn't who Gideon is then. And, and, I, and, I, and I get it. I, I, know that, I know how people approach this. I just can't embrace the mentality that he's already a hero. You say, well, but God can see. Yeah, but he's not. He's hiding in a wine press. I think if we go into this stuff with this, this is one of the things that, that, that hinders us, I believe hinders us when we're trying to serve God is we look at these people in the Bible and we listen to preachers put these people up on pedestals that we'll never be able to climb to that height because they didn't even climb to that height. Gideon was not a hero because he was a hero. He was a hero because God said he was a hero. That is, that's total difference. When God says that you're going to do amazing things, it's not because you're going to do amazing things. It's because God said you're going to do amazing things. You're not amazing within yourself. And I know this is not popular American speech, you're not amazing within yourself. You're amazing because you're created in the image of God, and God's going to do something big with you in that image. If you learn to walk in that image, then you're going to do amazing things with God because God's going to make it happen. But as long as you walk in your image or the image of the world or anything else, then you're going to be what you are. And I don't want to be what I come up with. I don't want to be what I create. I don't want to be even what I think a hero is. I don't want to define that for me. I want God to define that and then make it happen. Because then it truly is a hero according to God, which is transcendent, not a hero according to man, which is extremely limited. So God says to Gideon, you're, you're, a, you're a mighty hero. Sir, Gideon replied, let me argue with you. That's, that's where he's going. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? You know, I don't think I've ever said that out loud to God. God, I'm about to argue with you for just a little while here. But, man, I do that a lot. Right? God says to me, you're a mighty hero. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that, God. What do you want me to do? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. The Lord has brought us. Where, where are all the miracles our ancestors has told us about? There's a worship song I'm going to I'm going to probably teach to us on a Wednesday night coming up here pretty quick. And there's, there's a little part of it that just, I've been singing this part a lot lately. And, um, and, and, and the line of it is, talks about God doing all this stuff, the, the supernatural and the miraculous back in the days of old. And then he says, won't you do it again? I want him to do it right now. 
in my life, in your life, in our church services, in our community. I want him to do it again. I want him to do some amazing stuff. I want him to do stuff that is so much bigger than I am, that there's no possible way that anybody would think that it's me. They will have to know that it's God. And, and Gideon's saying, God, if you're God and you're calling me a hero and all this stuff, where's all the miracles? Where's the things? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with strength that you have, who you are. I'm going to use you as you. I'm not going to turn you into something else. I'm going to use you as you. And rescue Israel from the Midianites, for I am sending you. See, I think the focus here is not the mighty hero or the mighty man of valor. That's usually what gets all the media here when it's, when it's books and messages and things like that. I think the focus is I am sending you. I'm going to do some big stuff with you. Who's doing it? God's doing it. Gideon's not doing it. So this mighty hero, this mighty hero pulls this army together of quite a few thousand people, and God says, I don't really like that. Let's work it down to a good manageable number of 300 That wasn't Gideon. That wasn't Gideon's choice. In fact, he didn't really like the idea. And God said, now the army is the size that we need. And Gideon's thinking, this is not the size that we need. But these are all the good water drinkers. That's your criteria, God? I mean, isn't that the story? So so here's the deal. Gideon's not the one that's, that's doing the mighty hero stuff. God's doing all the stuff and then puts Gideon up like a puppet. And Gideon's like, I'm a hero. And everybody's like, he's a hero. He's n- and, and again, I'm not trying to downplay that totally. Gideon is a hero because why? His obedience. That's the key. It's just he just obeyed. He just did what God told him to do. And then God did some, some amazingly cool stuff. But it's because he just did what God said. Instead of trying to do what he thought, or the way he designed this or put this together. Guys, the I am sending you is the key. We, I, I, just, I was just listening to something this week, a sermon kind of thing. It was a good sermon, but in the middle of the guy says, now remember, God told Peter he was going to build the church upon Peter. I'm like, you totally misunderstand that scripture. He said, Peter, who do you think that I am? And Peter said, you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, now I can build the church on that. What? The revelation, you're the Messiah, not Peter. See, this is, what, this is what we're struggling with right now in the United States in church world, is we think Church of Briargate is built upon Scott. Okay. Right? It's built upon me. Okay, let me use a different example. <laughs> We think that the church is built upon people. Guys, it's not built upon people. And that's the problem we're having. That's the problem we're having. You can't build anything on people. You can't build our government on people. You can't build anything on people. you got to build it upon God. You can't build your business on people. Oh, sure you can, but it's going to fall flat someday. It's going to come crashing down. But if you build it upon God, it's amazing what God can do. Because why? He's the one that says you're the hero. He's the one that's sending you. He's the one that does stuff. We're not building this on people. 
And as long as we keep trying to do this, we're going to keep going the direction our country is going. We've, we've, got, to, we've got to put God at the, at the head of this thing. So <clears throat> the second question, first question, did God choose us because of who we are? The second question, does, did, does God choose us because of our potential? That's another process, and that's another, there's, there's lots of books and sermons out there. God chooses us because of our potential. In other words, God can see what we can do. There's a problem with that thought process. God can see our potential in every trajectory, not just his. So does God choose us because he knows for sure we're going to follow his trajectory? That's, that's God potential, right? You understand what I'm saying? What about the other choices we make? And what about the other trajectories and the potentials that we have? Let me, let me give you an example. This, this out of Scripture, the, to me, he is the best example in Scripture of potential. Nobody had more potential than this guy. And society today would have chosen him over almost anybody else ever presented to them at any time in history of humanity. Samson, a lot of potential in that guy, right? Made it, made it, his mom made a covenant. He makes a covenant. He doesn't cut his hair. And I mean, he's, he's on the right track. He's got this potential. And, and, the, and the only time he really realized his potential, you say, yeah, but he did a lot of supernatural things where he picked up the you know, fence and all that. But look at how each one of these stories start. He wasn't doing what God asked him until he got himself into a jam, and it was almost always over a woman, and then God gets him out of the jam. That's not realizing your potential. The very last seconds of his life, when he tears down the whole temple, and it says that he killed more Philistines in that moment than all put together. Go back and add up how many that we know for sure that he killed. That's a lot in one moment. But that's not realized potential. That's a wasted life that he redeemed at the last seconds. Two total different mentalities. So does he choose you because your potential? I think every one of us in this room have more potential than we could ever imagine. But, but it's because God. It's not just because me. It's because God. I don't think God chooses me because he knows what I could turn out to be, except for the fact that I could turn out to be something in him. I could, I, I've thought about this a lot, and there's no way you could analyze this, but I've thought about the difference in, in what my life would potentially be if I wasn't serving God over the years, and I, and I followed different paths that were potentially presented to me at different times in my life, what that would look like. And a couple of them were presented to me early in life when I went into the Navy and some different things like that. It's, it, it, those actually scare me. They, they frighten me because I think to myself, well, what if I wouldn't have ever got to Linda? Right? I'm, you, you don't know how much this can, can turn my, my skin cold. What if I never got to Linda? I, I, I can't think of life. Without Linda, I mean, she's not here this morning, but so it's not that difficult to think of life without Linda. But she's at a camp. And by the way, she'll be there till Tuesday. So if you're coming to the journey tonight, I'm making pizza. 
Usually she makes a meal and it's amazing and good. I'm making pizza. It's probably going to taste a lot like Pizza Hut. <clears throat> it's my recipe. But, but is it the potential? Is that? Do you realize how many opportunities you have to make choices every single day that can change the, the entire direction of your life? You, you, you go somewhere. You end up somewhere. You do, take this job. You, you, you step into a place that you shouldn't be or, or that you should be. All these kind of things. I, I've, I've thought about this a lot. I'm going to tell you probably a little more than, than maybe I should. I don't know. But I, I, can, I carry. I conceal carry. And, and that's a big deal for me. I think that people should be, have the right to do that. And I stand behind that right. I, I hope that you get some kind of training so that you don't shoot me accidentally. But he, here's the thing with me is I am willing to step up and, and step in if I need to. I, I'm not the kind of person that has a problem pulling the trigger if you need to pull the trigger. I don't have that problem. But I do understand this. Your entire life will be different after that. Your entire life will be different. And I don't think well, sometimes we think through some of that stuff. Process this. I know our safety team around here has and has asked and answered those questions. Because that's not as easy as an answer as you think it could be. Guys, all the things that we do in life, they can change our, our trajectory and we don't even realize it. So, so God knows every single bit of that. Did he choose you because of that? I don't really think so. But maybe. Number three. I know you guys are like, this is some solid. He's... he's Drooling down. Number three, does God choose us because we finish strong? This is a big deal for me. I want to finish strong. I've been thinking about this a lot over the last 15 years. Everybody starts, right? Everybody starts something. You start. My, my favorite thing that's happening, that a sporting event that ever happens at Tour de France, it just finished today. And uh, I, I love it. It's, it's You know how many... Hundreds of guys start, and how many don't finish? Every day there's a list of people that have dropped out. I remember when I went to boot camp. I think there was 180 of us that started boot camp, and about 110, 120 that finished. And boot camp's not that big of a deal. I mean, we, we act like it is, we say, but it's really not, okay? Especially my generation. Like the World War II and the Vietnam generation, I think their boot camp was a little rougher because they were allowed to be beat by the, <laughs> by the drill sergeants. By the time I got there, they didn't admit they were beating you. <clears throat> but does God, fin does God choose it because he knows we're going to finish strong, that at the end of this, we cross the finish line with a burst and everything? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that's the answer either because we don't even know that. God knows it because he's sovereign, not because he is, he's making it happen. I don't believe in predestination. So we can choose anywhere along the way. Guys, think about the people that God chose through Scripture to do things, and they failed. It wasn't God's will they failed. I don't believe that God creates people to fail. God doesn't create some people to go to hell. That, that's Calvinism. We don't believe that. We believe that God creates everybody in his image. Jesus died for everybody. Everybody can accept Jesus Christ. That means you have an opportunity to, to be something in him, to finish strong, and to be amazing in him. But you have to choose that. You have to choose to follow him. So I don't, I don't really think he chooses us because he thinks we're going to finish strong. The verdict's out. You say, but he already knows. 
yeah, that hurts my head. So Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, these verses right here. I'm just going to jump down to verse 14 here. But every, all the, the verses before this are the wedding feast. And Jesus is trying to, this is important theologically. This is a theological um, th- uh, precedence here. Jesus is trying to get everybody. It's a parable, but he's, but he's trying to get everybody to the feast, to get everybody. He's doing it. He's going and asking this person. They have a reason. They have an excuse. Goes to this person. They have an excuse. And these people don't go to the feast. But don't confuse the fact they don't go to the feast with the reality that Jesus wanted them all to go to the feast. That's important. Okay? Verse 14, the very last part of this, says that many are called... But few are chosen. I, I didn't understand that for a long time. For years, I didn't understand. Well, God, why would you call so many but only choose some? And I didn't realize that the, that the focus of the word chosen, in English, we would look at it as Jesus is choosing. But the, the focus of this in the Greek is the fact that Jesus, he's, he, he already picks everybody, and then he lets the chosen be up to the few's decision. So in other words, many are called, but few choose to accept the call. Or another way to say it, but few accept to be the chosen. You're called, I'm called. But we have to choose whether or not we step into that. And that's not a one-time thing. That's, that's daily. That's day after day after day after day. You have to continue to re-choose that. Why? Because Satan can manipulate you at any time in your life and, and try to convince you to get away from that. If he can take you away from what God has called you to do, and I'm not even talking about your salvation yet, just the direction he's trying to get you to go today. He would much rather you just be, um, you being a Christian specifically, I don't think drives Satan crazy. But I do think you being a Christian that is being really obedient to the Lord and following him. Now, I struggle with that because of what I believe the definition of Christian is. But the idea that, that as long as you just kind of be lazy and selfish and you stay in your own little world and don't ever let anybody else know you're a Christian or know who Jesus is, I don't think you bother Satan at all. I don't think that's a big thing for him. Okay, do what you want. But the moment you start pursuing God to the point where it starts affecting people around you, now, now you become a problem. Because why? You're accepting the call. You're accepting to be chosen. That, that becomes bothersome to Satan. So John chapter 21. <clears throat> now, we started off in Matthew with Peter and Andrew and James and John. And Jesus said to them, I want to teach you to be fishers of men. Follow me. I'm going to teach you to be fishers of men. Now, we're going to jump into John 21. This is after the crucifixion, after the resurrection. And the disciples are feeling very discouraged. They're feeling abandoned. They've been hanging out with Jesus for three years. They, they went out and prayed for the sick. And they were um, healed. They cast demons out, all kinds of stuff. And now they're feeling discouraged because Jesus is not physically with them anymore. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, not the doubter. That was not his nickname. 
Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other disciples. Let's assume for the sake of my story that Andrew was one of these other two disciples. We don't know for sure. But we have Peter, James, and John, and maybe potentially Andrew. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Now, now here, let me, let me change the sentence to, to say what is, what's the bigger picture here. Simon Peter said, I've tried this thing. I've tried this fishing for people. It hasn't worked out. Jesus is no longer here. I'm going to go back to my old life, and I'm going to go back to fishing. That, that's what he's saying here. And all the other disciples says, well, they all said, we'll come too. This is a conscious decision. They were saying, this isn't, gonna go, this isn't going out and, and catching a fish. That's not what's going on. Because why would this be such a big deal that they're all going to decide this together and they're using nets and everything else? This wasn't drop up a, a line in the water. Peter made a conscious decision. I'm bagging this and I'm going back to my old life. And they all said, we're going to go with you. So they went out into the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Why? Because Jesus doesn't play. That's why they could have fished for three straight weeks. Jesus is going to make sure they never caught one fish. He wants them to know, look, you can just because you think you can just walk away and go back to your old life doesn't mean it works out the way you think it should. Just because you think you can let go of everything and say, I, I, I can't do this. I don't have what it takes. Doesn't mean that Jesus is okay with that. Because here's the reality. You didn't have what it took in the first place. Jesus is the one who called you. Jesus is the one who will equip you. Jesus is the foundation of all this. But you've got to keep your eyes on him, regardless of whether you think he is actively participating or you perceive that he's not actively participating. Because you don't really know the answer to that question. Well, well, why did he call me? I don't know why he called you. I don't know why he called me. But I do know that he did. And our responsibility is to be fishers of people. That's our responsibility. And do the best you can with that day after day. And there's going to be times when it seems good. There's going to be times when it seems bad. But you've just got to stay in there and keep doing it. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. Just coincidentally happened to arrive right where they were, back at their old jobs, not catching anything. And Jesus just accidentally is there. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellas, have you caught any fish? You know what that's called? Sarcasm. Sarcasm by the one who knows. You ain't catching nothing, Jack, till I say you're catching something. You guys caught any fish? And they all replied, no. Guys, God has called you. God has called you. Here's the pitfalls that will keep you from doing that. The first thing, circumstances in life or sin. That'll keep you from from fulfilling your calling. Let me give you some opposites. Too proud or too insecure. Both of those are harmful. If you think you're all that, you you need God to do some work on you because you're not. If you think you, don't, you can't do it, you need God to do some work on you because you can. Third thing, burnout or laziness. You, you, you know what workaholic in ministry mentality and in Christian services? It's called legalism, and it's also called arrogance. 
that leads to burnout. You, you, you can't do it all. Don't try. Do what God's called you to do. The other side of that is laziness. Do something. Try. Fourth thing, I will make all decisions or I will always wait on the Lord. Neither one of these are healthy. I'm just going to get out and do something. Well, it may be wrong. Don't. Well, I can, I can put this on my shoulders and I can carry it all by myself. You can't, so stop trying. The antithesis of that is, well, I'm just going to wait on the Lord. I've watched Christians for years do this. Well, I'm just going to pray about it. When do you start doing? How many times, how many years do you pray before you do? God wants you to pray, yes. He wants you to pray all the way through doing. But he wants you to do. You, you know, we never think about this. When we, when we step into eternity, the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant. That means you've got to have done something. Right? If you, if you didn't ever do, and, and here's the primary. The primary thing he told us to do, that he called us to do, to, to, is what? Fishers of people. If you've never fished for people, when you step up there, is he really going to say, well done? And I've had every argument over, the, over time with Christians. They'll say, yeah, but it's because, you know, your heart was his. You know, if your heart is his, why aren't you doing? Well, you know, I, I was following him. and I was, If you're following him, you should be following him to the lost because that's where he is. I mean, the argument's pretty simple all the way around. When you step up, he's going to say, well done, because you done. Right? Not just talked about it, not just prayed. Number five, someone else will do it. Or only I can do it. Neither one of those are healthy. Why don't you stand with me? Here's what I would like to do with this. I want us to pray. And as we're praying about this, I want us to come to, to two conclusions, right? I said this at the beginning. I want us to come to two conclusions. The, the revelation for some, and it may, you, some of you may know it, but some of this may be a revelation, and that's either, either, either way is good. But to just confirm in your spirit right now that I am called by God, we need to know that. And then the second part of this is what am I going to do about it? I respond to that call. That's not a, yes, I'm called, and I respond cognitively. That means you're saying, I intentionally am responding with my life constantly to this call. My life is the response, not a verbalization, but a, but a, but a life response. Lord, I'm called. Whether I'm in some kind of thing that people would say is ministry or not, that has nothing to do with it. It's that I'm called and I'm going to be obedient today. Today. So as I'm praying through this, somewhere through this, it may be quick, it may be, maybe you have to work through some stuff, I don't know, but somewhere through this, when you get to the point where you can say, in your own spirit, in your own mind, I know I'm called and my life, I respond with my life. When you can say that, as you're praying, I just want you to raise both hands and you're going to say, okay, God, I respond to that. I'm responding with me. Okay, God, we commit this moment ourselves to you. Lord, I'm yours. I'm created in your image. Every person in this room is created in your image. God, we're, we're created to represent you, to look like you, to talk like you, to act like you, to, to own up to this image 
that you've given us. And so, Lord, I want to respond. You've called me. You have supernaturally called me. God, I acknowledge that. I still don't totally understand the why, except that you're the person that calls. And that you called me because of you, Lord. I I acknowledge that. Not because of me, any gifts or talents or abilities. God, you gave me all those anyway. But you called me. Lord, confirm that to me every day. Every day, you called me. Somebody didn't call me. A church didn't call me. A fellowship or denomination didn't call me. Jesus, you called me. So, Lord, I pray for every one of us in here. Get that into our spirit, deep within our spirit. You called us. And then, God, we respond. We respond with our life. I respond with me. It's all I got. I respond with me. My time, my energy, my gifts, my abilities, my life, I respond with me. God, I want to be that drink offering that Paul talks about. That My life is poured out for you. God, when I'm going through my daily life, my routine, I want to keep my eyes on you, that I belong to you, and that I'm going to do the best I can to display you, to represent you. God, I say no to junk and sin. I say no to the things that the world tries to entice me with. And I say yes to you. I'm going to follow you. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name, Lord, I respond. Respond with me. Let's just thank him. God, I am awed and amazed, overwhelmed by how awesome you are. I'm humbled by the fact that you would choose me. I'm more humbled by the fact you would equip me. God, I am also motivated to follow you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this life. Thank you for this moment, this opportunity that we call life. Thank you for this. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know that he loves them. He's got a plan for them. He's going to give you the chance. You're going to put somebody in your path, something. Do the best you can. Take this opportunity, and God will do some pretty amazing things. Just take the opportunity. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad that you are that they're here, even if you have to make it up. And we will see you tonight or Wednesday night or Monday, whatever's going on with you this week.